Hey, you're listening to episode 6 of How Are We Not Invited? This week, we discuss work-life balance and how working from home is not all it's cracked up to be. Mary-Kate makes us jealous with her stories of boating in Cape Cod, and she fills us in on her childhood celeb crush, whose house she may or may not have tried to go to. Then, we bring on guest Anthony Scott, who is the Vice President of Production at Cedar Park Entertainment. We get an inside look on what it's like to work for a big director on big movie sets, and much, much more. Even though most of the world is working from home and, well, doing pretty much everything else from home, still, how are we not invited? Rolling out now for an epic night, dressed to the nines, all stars in sight, but to their fright, they can't get inside, now on the guest list, well, check it twice, can't get in, revs anger ignited, MK's heart stop, can't revive it, bouncer saying, hey, let's not get excited, they yell back, how are we not invited? Welcome to, I don't even know what episode this is, six? We are on six, Mary-Kate. Wow. Hi, Rebecca. It's so good to see you. I know. We're staring at each other on Zoom right now. It's so nice to see your face so often now. I I love it. It makes me very happy. It's so fun. We're getting even closer because of this podcast. Yes. If that's possible. If possible. But yeah. Well, I mean, because we used to talk every day when when we're working mm-hmm. we're working at least 12 hours a day every day yep. Yep. and even when we working when we weren't working on the same shows that meant we both had our laptops open for like some overlap of the day because of our three hour time difference mm-hmm. and i remember when i was working on john wick three i was always like wait until noon because that meant that i could talk to <laughs> rebecca because she'd be in the office at nine in la the time change, um, the time change can be brutal. Three hours is intense um, when you're like starting your work day, especially when you're like actually working on a project and you have half of the staff on in New York or mm. out of the country or whatever. It really can like when I was working on the movie I was working on before quarantine and the pandemic, um, I was working from home in Los Angeles, but the movie was actually going to shoot in Boston and everyone was on Boston time. So I remember I like had to talk to my boss and was like, what time zone do you want me on? Like, do you want me staying up and working later, but like getting up and starting three hours after you guys do? Or like, what's the best scenario? But it can be a pain. It is a pain. And I definitely like being on the East Coast side of it, there were a lot of nights that I worked late anyway. Mm -hmm. But when we needed to talk to somebody who was in LA and they couldn't talk until the end of the day. That's like 10 o'clock for you guys. 10 o'clock. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it was crazy. It's crazy. Like when I worked for the executive at Paramount, um, he traveled all the time and our movies were all over the world and country. So I used to have to like set, um, you know, like put my world clock on my iPhone, like of all the different cities he was in. And then I would use Sometimes I would use like different apps or like different websites that showed you like what time is it in Australia now, you know, and in order to set calls and meetings with him, it was very complicated because I would have to figure out like, 
this person's in London, this person's in Australia, this person's in LA, this person's in New York. Try to set that meeting, Mary Kate. Oh my God. I've done that. It's intense. (laughs) Yikes. Well, the interesting thing too, and I, you know, without getting into the sort of polarizing thing of the way that schools are about to be run, but like a lot of NYU international students aren't coming back for the fall. And the school is not offering classes at their, like on their schedule because the professors are here. So the professors want to teach on a regular schedule, which means these people could be taking classes at like 11 o'clock at night, three in the morning, their own time. Yeah. That really sucks. It's not great. I mean, but what do you do from an organization standpoint Mm -hmm. and like, I don't know. It's really, really tough. Well, speaking of jobs and time zones, I actually got a job this week. I have been off for four months because of the pandemic. As everyone knows, the film industry kind of shut down um, when the pandemic hit. But everything's slowly starting to get up and rolling. Mm. So, slowly. Um, So, I'm going to be working (laughs) on a, a big film that's actually going overseas, but I'll be helping prep that movie here in Los Angeles. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to get back to work, although I will be working from home um, probably for a little while if we don't know if we're opening offices yet. And I worked from home on the movie that was going to Boston before the pandemic. And I know, Mary-Kate, you work from home. Yeah, so I I have been working from home since uh, June. Yeah, yeah, and I was just thinking this week about the whole working from home thing and how I have a lot of friends obviously working from home right now, and it is absolutely brutal. You would think that it would be easy and better because you're like, oh, I'm home. Like, everything's – I can be, like, in my pajamas on my couch, like, working. But there's actually, like – it's it actually is worse because you have to set boundaries, like, mm-hmm. and – You have, because you're not leaving your apartment, so you're waking up, and it's not like you have a commute to work, and then you open your computer, and you're like, okay, boss, I'm here, here we go. It's like, so, like, how do you do that, Mary-Kate? Like, what is your... It is not easy, and, like, working in your pajamas is kind of not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) Like, I do it a lot, because I just am, like... I always call Nick King of Comfy, and I feel like I've become Queen of Comfy. King, but like... I love that. <laughs> you guys are adorable. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard, and it's so important to set boundaries. And I I'm working for a small production company right now, right? And so, and this is my summer internship, so right. it, it is ending. But um, when I initially spoke to her, like our first meeting, I was like, "How do you want me to check in with you?" Because like normally you're sitting there across the hall from somebody or across the table from someone and like end of the day comes and you're like, okay, here's my stuff. End of the day. See you later. Um, but what do you do when you're at home? Like she doesn't know when I'm clocking in. She doesn't yeah. know what I'm clocking out. Right. And so she said, you know, I think that the kind of communication she wanted was an email every night with just like a rundown of what I done for the day so Mm. I've been doing that and like it just depends on what everyone is comfortable with in terms of communication and like checking in but at the same time for me like I could so easily and I think it's because we work we're used to working such long hours I could so easily sit there and just keep 
working forever. Yeah, I'm sure until you go to bed. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I had to like draw this line at the beginning that I was like, nope, after I send my email, I usually will work a flex hour because I'm not a morning person. So I don't start at nine. Typically I start yeah. closer to 10, mm-hmm. but I'll work like 10 to seven. I will make sure that I'm done with what I need to be done with and then send my email. And I tend to not answer emails after I sent my end of the day email. It's like, you just have to force it, yourself. I remember when I was on the film before, before the pandemic, I would have to purposely remind myself to like not answer any emails while because you know you wake up you check your phone that's the first thing you do and mm-hmm. you, I used to wake up to a million emails because I was three hours behind so I remember I had I would have to force myself to not respond to any of them and even try not to read them by the way because once you get it in your head you're like oh yeah and like wake up take a shower brush my teeth have my breakfast get dressed in real clothes and then go sit where I was going to sit for the day and open my laptop and then start answering emails. Because if you don't do that, like I have friends working from home right now that are like, Rebecca, I like forget to brush my teeth. Like, yeah, if you don't force yourself to like act like you're actually going to work, the whole day will pass and you're sitting there, you know, you might even forget to eat. I don't know. Like, yeah, like, that happens for yeah. sure. Like because it's or or the opposite happens. Like, where you're like, okay, well, I'm home, so I'm sitting here and like, I just am gonna go like do one dish that's sitting in the sink. Like, I'm just gonna do the dishes real quick, and that's all I'll do. Uh-huh. And then you're like doing the dishes, and you're like, oh, this counter is kind of messy. Like, I should probably clean the counter too. And the next thing you know, you're in your house, you've done an hour's worth of cleaning, <laughs> which is like productive right? or whatever. Yeah. But you're but not like you're not working. Yeah. I read an article recently talking about, um, you know, the struggles of working from home and how people actually feel overworked working mm-hmm. from home and they feel that their bosses are, bosses are expecting more out of them because they have more hours to actually work and people are just feeling like completely burnt out and that it's not a productive way to do it. I would say on their other end of it though, the positive side is that people are realizing that a lot of things can actually be done, um, you know, not in person at the office. So not necessarily from home, but I've read that like people are realizing like, okay, like Rebecca doesn't have to work in the office from 9am to 9pm. Like she can actually get a lot done if she goes home at six. And then like, if we need her till nine, we'll just let her know, like be available on your phone. So I, that's, I think that's one positive thing that is coming from it. I hope that that happens that way, because I think that people, like, I always remember from production, like, yes, there was stuff going on, but like accounting never felt like we needed to be there quite as late as we did, except for sometimes, obviously there were rush checks going on that like something was needed last minute. Um, But like being there for the sake of being there and the optics of like sitting in the office just in case, like if that can be eliminated, that's so important because work-life balance doesn't exist for us. No. And there's a lot of that in production where um, I've worked on a lot of movies where the entire production staff of five, six people has to wait until the line producer leaves Mm-hmm. before any of them leave but it might be a production assistant who got in at 6 a.m 
and mm-hmm. should be leaving at 6 p.m. Like, why do you have to wait for, like, you know, in case the big boss needs something? But like you're saying, if it could be understood that, like, well, we can help them from home and why do we all have to wait here? And, you know, it's the kind of, like, we actually talk about this later in the episode with our friend Anthony, who is uh, works for a production company. Um, but, you know, it's the whole, like, it's not life or death situation. Yeah. Like, why are we treating this like we're doctors about to go into heart surgery? Yes. Like, why can't we communicate and just n- not overwork ourselves and not, you know, burn ourselves out and, you know. I don't know. And I had a, I had a great boss um, on Black Mass and he used to say, it's not brain surgery. We're not doing brain surgery. And he didn't mean it like, oh, it's not hard. He meant it like, we're not saving lives. Mm -hmm. We are not doing anything that like, a lot of this stuff can be done tomorrow in my department anyway. Um, And like, it's okay. Like, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Like, we'll get the movie made, everyone. It's going to be all right. There's just like fear that's instilled in a lot of production people that like, it has to be like, immediately done or like you know we treat a lot of the producers and directors like they're kings and queens and you know like what they need we have to get it done like this instant like you know and it's like um we're all just human beings here yeah human beings and like and that doesn't mean you're gonna do your job any worse either Mm -hmm. like just because you know that there is life outside of the production does not mean that you're not as dedicated to the production, you know? Right. Like, I think that that, it was, it's always frowned upon, like, when you have a PA who's like, oh, I have to go to my sister's brother's cousin's uh, pre-wedding birthday party, and they're like, uh, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this job then. <laughs> but yeah, like, there's that whole um, culture of, you know, if you don't, if you have a personal life that you're not um, cut out to work in film and it's frowned upon like exactly what you said and you're not meant to work in film if you want to care about anything else and that's yeah. just completely wrong and absurd and yeah I don't think it has to be that way no I think we can still have a life yeah, yeah. anyway I have been having a life I was just here. gonna say please tell me about your life in Cape Cod because <laughs> let's get a little less well, serious and tell me yeah. about gorgeous Cape Cod even even though I will just say like balancing working here because I am here with my parents and my boyfriend right and Full my house. boyfriend's been yeah my boyfriend's been with me through all of quarantine has totally understands that like when I'm working, I'm working. If I'm sitting at my desk, that means probably don't talk to me. <laughs> um, but like, I have no desk here. Right. I am in the kitchen trying to do work. And sometimes I want to sit on the couch and try to do work if no one's in there. Yeah. Um, and like, somehow my just like being around is an invitation to talk. And like, that's okay. <laughs> I love my parents. But it is like so hard to get things done because my mom's like, it's a beautiful day out. Are you going out today? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Oh I have God. eight hours of work to do. It's just, you know, finding that balance. But it has been really great um, change of scenery. We rented a boat today, which was great. Living your best life. 
um, as we were driving down the river, it was like all these big, beautiful houses. And on like one side, there were like, there was actually like a party going on at one of the houses, which was strange. Ooh, wow. I was not invited to that. Of course you are. Um, we're not, we're <laughs> never invited. It's fine. How are we not? And then the other, there was like another house too that I used to stalk as a 12, 13 year old girl, because I thought it was Aaron Carter's house. (laughs) And I loved Aaron Carter very, very much. And so I used to ride my bike down that road. And um, then I was, my friend and I thought we saw a bodyguard there. And so we like stopped going because we were super not invited to Aaron Carter's house at like 12, 13 year old. You wouldn't be invited there at 31 either. I love his Instagram. I think I might get invited if I tried. He he answers DMs. You Shout know, out Aaron Carter. Okay, he answers DMs. <laughs> yeah, he's like a he's like kind of a crackhead. No, though. I know. Very, I, I have very much stalked Aaron Carter's life. Um, definitely insane. But um, yeah, that's really funny. I am. A, I used to be a big Hanson fan when I was a kid, and Ooh. I still love all of them and follow them i don't really listen to them as much anymore but like you know you can't shake like your childhood celeb crush so i follow zach hansen who was my favorite and he personally answers comments on his photos and i keep trying to comment but he has he responds to all these other people but clearly i'm not invited to zach hansen's instagram because he doesn't answer me i'm like what quirky oh, thing do so i have funny. to i like think about it for a second i'm like how do i make this quirky so that he responds to this one <laughs> he like still hasn't answered you're trying to secure that invite and it's just not it's happening really not. <laughs> but yeah it was very fun it was like freeing it felt very normal too which was really cool because nothing feels that normal right now right you kind of but, felt like you could have just been on vacation not during a pandemic yeah it was a good way to balance out because I worked really late on Friday night mm-hmm. finishing a project mm-hmm. so that was the ultimate work-life balance you just find a way to prioritize yes I, the things that are important to you it's amazing and we talk a lot about that with Anthony so maybe this is a good time to transition into that amazing conversation we had with him all right cool all right guys i hope you enjoy it okay everyone we have the very talented anthony scott here with us today hi anthony hey guys how's it going hi we're good we're good so excited to have you thank you so much um i was saying to rebecca earlier this is i'm kind of nervous but i'm really excited and honored that you would ask me to do this so oh my god of don't course. be nervous at all it's <laughs> yes. just like us hanging out this is just what we do so i know yes. but you intimidate me so <laughs> well well speaking of us hanging out so the audience knows we are all old friends and we actually met in boston on the film black mass which mary kate and i talk about on our first episode of this podcast and you were assisting the director on that, right, Anthony? Yeah, but that's actually incorrect. That's not the first oh. time we met. I thought about this today. Were we met with... on sex tape. I don't think I did that movie. Yeah, you did business trip. You did business trip. Oh, that's right. But I came in, so the producers did sex tape and business trip at the same time. And when I interviewed with them, 
they hired me on the spot and said, go downstairs and do, get your paperwork done. And I met you and which when you had your purple hair. You're right. It was the film, which is now called, it's not called Business Trip anymore. True. Um, it's Unfinished did, Business. There I'm you go. I'm the only yeah. person in this room that for the second week in a row, I'm the only person who did not work <laughs> on that movie and the only person who can remember the title of it. Last well, episode, we had the wrong name and like we never corrected ourselves. And I was like, oh my God, people are going to be like, why don't these girls know the names of the movies they worked on? <laughs> like when there's so many, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. So Anthony has corrected me. We met when he was working on the film Sex Tape. Is it still called Sex Tape? That, yeah, that kept that its name, sex. yeah. So you were a director assistant on that, right? No, on the, no, so that one I was producer assistant. So And anyway. then Black Mass was after that? Yeah, and then that was right after that. And that's I when think... you met Mary-Kate? Yes, yeah. because I think I yeah. bugged her a lot. <laughs> All right, so you were the director assistant. The director of Black Mass was Scott Cooper. You worked mm -hmm. for him. Um, yep. And I was the production secretary on that. So we got to have a lot of fun together. And I loved coming to set and visiting you. So after Black Mass is when your career kind of really took shape, right? And you tell us about what you did after that. Yeah, I think that was the last, um, I think that was the last Boston movie I did. So I was living at home and then I was like, what, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to like make this a permanent you know, place because I kind of um, found my niche in like Boston. Like I really, I I got every call for director or producers, so I was getting right. those like pretty steadily. Yeah. So that was to be really their cool. assistant, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think I went to Europe on like a trip um, after that movie was done, and then I came back and and um, yeah, that's when I ended up getting the um, the David Ayer job after that. Right, so I think so, I was kind of like, I had done what I thought, like all I could do in Boston. And that was like the next. Yeah. And I remember, step, so. I remember because David was, David Ayer is a director for those who don't know. Um, and didn't you have to, he was already in Canada, right? When you started to interview with him and get the process going because he was shoot, he was yeah. about to shoot Suicide Squad. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was a funny um situation i never met david before i went to canada i didn't even like video I... chat with him oh okay uh, yeah i didn't um wow. i talked with he, he had a co-producer that worked with him and i met him oh, God. and it. i had three meetings with him and he was like i think you'll be perfect you seem to like have the same sort of uh, thought structure you know just like i think you're you'll vibe you'll with Good him really personality well personality match yeah yeah, yeah. And he was like, you, you sound like you can you know deal with you know difficult personalities all that stuff mm -hmm. um and, and I felt bad because the kid that was out there had no idea that he was getting replaced. Uh oh. And um, they flew me out um, on like a Tuesday night and I got there and they put me up in, in the apartment they put me in. And then um, the next day I showed up and that's when I met David. And um, David's very like, he's, he's, he was in the military and so he's very regimented and, um, you know, he's like at a place on the dot and kind of has a routine. Mm -hmm. And so and that was like um, a huge movie and, I, and that was the biggest movie he had done. And so at that, up to that point. So um, I remember the first day I met him, it was like, they told me just be waiting at the front door with coffee and um, you'll take it from there. And it was February in Toronto and it was oh. freezing. And I thought like, oh, I was going to be fine because I understand winter and it was so fucking cold. I don't think I've ever experienced anything <laughs> that cold. 
I and, can't um, imagine. And yeah, and he just, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, didn't you guys, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I just, because we're friends and we talk about all the movies you work on, didn't you guys shoot that movie mostly nights? 18 weeks of nights? And 18 wow. weeks of nights in the winter in Canada. But the, but the funny thing is that <laughs> um, all, we were shooting nights into May and um, I had, she's my wife now, but she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, she was living with me. Hi, Jody. And I had to, <laughs> my wife, my wife's name is Jody. So Jody, I called her and I was like, cause we were shooting in a subway uh, underground in May. And I called her and I said, can you please bring me like my long johns? In I was May. like, <laughs> in May, I was wow. so cold. I wore like, um, like a down jacket and a sweatshirt underneath that and like long underwear. It was so oh cold. God. Canada yeah. is another level of yeah, cold. It was nuts. And then in the summertime, it was like humid and hot and like nasty. Oh so it's just a weird place. Yeah, I oh that's crazy. So you started working as David's assistant on Suicide Squad and then the rest mm -hmm. is kind of history, right? He kind of brought you on full time and you guys came out to LA. Was yeah, it was happened? like, um, he kind of just said, hey, would you ever move to LA? I was just like, yeah, you know, I, I would do it, but I, I wouldn't move there unless I had a job. And he's like, well, yeah, that's the point. I'm asking you, like, would you? <laughs> Anthony, like. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, so. You uh, thought he was just making conversation. Yeah, and he's not really that guy, so I should <laughs> yeah. really know. Um, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess it would. So then once you got out here um tell us kind of about did you were there a couple more movies you did and yeah what have you been yeah doing so here? yeah so we you know obviously we finished suicide squad and then mm -hmm. we we were um david had this very long period of time like 10 year stretch where he was um right uh, writing a movie during post and then shooting it basically right after post was wow. done so he did wow. that back to back for almost 10 years Constant, um yeah. and so during suicide squad we had bright and um so we went mm -hmm. right into bright mm -hmm. and um then bright happened and then after bright that was the first time where he like took a break he was like i need to slow down and mm -hmm. um we kind of backed up we we had like a tv show in development um we've done a lot of little weird things here and there uh and then we ended up shooting um tax collector so that's the most recent tell us about because i understand that you guys now have your own production company called Cedar Park Entertainment. So tell us about when that, how that kind of happened and what you do, what your title is and what you do with them. So it was just David and myself for a while. Like after Suicide Squad, it was just he and I, and we just kind of, you know, went to his next job. What do you write? And we'd go to the next thing. And then um, after Bright, we were doing a TV show and we'd gone out to pitch it and um one of the places we pitched it to studio executive there the head of the studio um was like i want to buy this right now in the room i want the show i don't want you to go anywhere else wow and um and david was like all right cool so then we started to go through the deal and his network um said no you can't do that and he was like why and there was this whole thing and um we found out later on so that guy's name is chris long and chris long was the head of audience network for direct tv very mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and so audience network was on the way out um and so he was just like i don't you know for whatever reason he was like i i see me doing something else 
So he left that job and started a company with David. Um, cool. And now wow. he's like, yeah, so he, you know, he went from being a buyer to being a seller. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when like kind of David and him just created this entity. That's what Cedar Park Entertainment is. And um, he's like, let's go out and let's make, you know, really cool stuff that we like. And um, the, the vision, sort of the idea of the company is um, content for underserved audiences. So whatever that may be, you know, just like people who Hollywood is not making content for. Um, and I, we really feel like, and if you look at like a lot of stuff coming out of Hollywood is really for the coast. Um, and yeah. it's kind of slapped on to say, Hey, everybody loves it, but there's really nothing for like the middle of the country or for people who, um, right. you know, like yeah. if you don't live in, you know, if you look at all the New York stuff is the same, all the LA stuff is very specific. And it's that idea of like, you want to come here and be these people rather than, um, these are people who live in these places and these are what the things that they really experience and they go through. Wow. Um, so that's cool. kind of the idea that's really of that. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's kind of what we've been going towards. And, um, you know, everything that we try to do is uh, has a layer of authenticity to it. So even if it was something fantasy, it's going to have something in it that's going to ground it and be authentic to what that world is, who those characters are, you know. Um, and that's kind of what we've been searching for and developing. Cool. What is your title now? Like, what are you actually doing with them? It sounds like you're in on the creative, but there is this like kind of businessy side to it as well. So what are, what are you doing? Yeah. So uh, my official title is I'm the VP of production. So yeah, so it was just me, David and Chris for a long time. And then we went to go do tax collector and uh, we walked into the room and uh, David was like, I have any idea for a movie. There's no script. Here it is. And he's, spit it out in like 20 minutes and um the studio we were with was like uh we want that we'll give you three and a half million dollars for it right now and so Dave was like okay cool and but then it ended up that um another studio heard heard the pitch and they said we'll give you three times that uh so we ended up you know kind of figuring it out and ended up being somewhere around like six million or so so um Dave was like all right you know I want to get back to my roots and shoot this small movie and um, once we did that, we started pulling in all these people and we built this little team. And so after that movie came out, you know, now we have um, a really cool um, VP of development and we're doing a ton of TV development. I mean, I think we have something like somewhere in the twenties, as far as like 20 projects actively in development right now, wow, which is yeah, great. Um, unscripted, scripted film and TV. So there's, but our team is like really small. It's only like six of us. So um, everybody has their hands full doing a lot of stuff. Um, obviously, right now, because of what's going on in the world, there's not as much production going on. So course, yeah. I'm doing less of that and more of um, the development stuff and a lot more um, I'm selling now, too. So for, I don't know how it happened, but I kind of got sucked into the um, unscripted world which is funny because mm-hmm. I'm not really a big unscripted mm-hmm. fan. Yeah, interesting. Um, but I found that I actually watch a lot of it. I just critique it <laughs> a ton. <laughs> uh, so I've been I've been doing a lot of pitches and selling for the unscripted side. So that's you know pretty cool. But that's nice. kind of what I've been doing lately. Yeah, that's so great. Was Tax Collector? So Tax Collector was the first film that was under the Cedar Park Entertainment Company, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that was Shia LaBeouf, right? Yeah. Yeah. Funny story for the audience. I remember. <laughs> 
going to visit the set one day, I had a meeting with his bosses, Chris. It was just Chris, actually, I think. Yeah, it was just Chris, um, yeah. And uh, just for job opportunities. And I remember walking up the steps to go. And this, the stage you guys shot was right in... Um, in Glendale, right, or like in the valley yeah, it's somewhere. like it's on the edge. It's on the edge of Glendale, kind of over by the two. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, you know, excited to meet Chris and hear about the company and see Anthony. And they were thick in the middle of filming a scene with Raya, <laughs> and I think they were taking a break. And there was like a bunch of friends of the actors sitting on the stairs to get up into the stage. And I remember like meeting Anthony outside and walking up the steps and someone was smoking pot or maybe a bunch of them were smoking pot. And I, I got like a huge whiff of the pot and I'm like, I'm not a big pot smoker and like I'm sensitive to the smell. And I remember like freaking out and like being like, am I going to get contact high from all this And I was like, Anthony, oh my God. And he was like, Rebecca, like, don't worry about it. You're fine. Like, you know, but I just like, I'll never forget that. It like makes me think of that. That's what I think of when I think of tax collector. So doing, you're now doing the like selling side of things. You've been on yeah. set. What do you like more? Do you have something you like? On set, on set. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, nothing against this. It just, you realize um, how slow the process is to get mm -hmm. things made. Absolutely. And then you start understanding really how um, how difficult it is, and you know, like people are always saying, like Hollywood's out of ideas, and it's it's not the case. There are, there's a lot of really good ideas out there. The problem is, is you have to convince the buyer to take a right. chance on something that might be different or new. So you spend a lot of time perfecting pitches and mm -hmm. your sales strategy and getting the right people on board. So we try to eliminate all the questions and all of the fears. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a big thing. I always found development so fascinating because I'm a production person. So I'm so used to like the movies already greenlit. It's ready to go. Yeah. Here's the script, figure out, you know, make the movie, make the movie for this budget. Here you go. Mm -hmm. And I always said like, Oh my God, I don't know if I could do development because it's such a grueling process where yeah. you spend so much time just like trying to get a movie made that actually may never get made or might be shelved yeah. for years. And like, mm. do you ever get frustrated with that process? Like, is it, or is it every day? Well, it's the thing. It's like, um, I'm, I'm impatient when it comes to stuff like that. And I want to be on set. I want to see, mm -hmm. like, I want to see things being made. And for me, it's really hard to wrap my head around, um, like, work being something that you don't do physically right so um like i grew up working construction for my dad so like i just Got had it. this thing in my mind i'm like oh yeah. you use your hands you do these things and that's like work it's different responsibilities and you flex different muscles right. so i'm learning that's that a lot um yeah yeah did so. you so when you were growing up and getting into film um did you aspire to or, or do you still aspire like to be a director, to be a producer? Did you ever envision yourself, you know, being a VP at a production office or <laughs> has your goals changed based on all the experience that you've had so far? I mean, yeah. Um, so I think when I was like 12 or 13, that's when I was like, I'm going to make movies. I want to make movies for a mm -hmm. living. 
Um, and I think it was when I saw the matrix. I think that's, so that's like my, my favorite movie. And I think that's, I was that, just that was talking like... about the matrix today with Jesse. <laughs> that's so weird. I literally <laughs> were on a little hike with my dog and we started talking about the matrix and I was like, would you take the red pill, pill or the red pill? <laughs> we went, it was like literally like a 30 red minute pill. conversation. Yeah, so. Well, that, that was, so that's the movie. That's like the movie that lit my fire, sort of thing, you know. Yeah, I so love that. Seeing yeah. that because it was also one of the first DVDs I saw too. Um, mm. Like when DVD players cool. came out, you know, they would give you the free DVD with like to help sell it, and that was one of them. And I remember watching all the special features. Um, so that's what I knew. That's what I wanted to do. And um, I always used to tell stories and write little stories. And so, um, love that. Yeah, so that was like what I always. Um, I used to make skate videos for my friends, but we would like make skate videos with like a narrative to them. Um, and um, so, so yeah, I mean, I was like, I want to be a writer, I want to be a director. That's mm -hmm. all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting jobs on set. And my dad had always said, he was like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. He's like, just be like, like be the best at, you know, at what you're doing, sure. right? So right. I would just, I, I was the best guy that swept up. I was the best guy that did whatever, you know, or I have that in my mind, like, that's what I got to do. Yeah. And then um, I started realizing like how how the directors and producers work, and you start realizing, you know, how a set works. So I started learning like, all right, if I work in every department, if I do something and everything, then I understand how everything works. So when I'm a director, there's two things: one, you respect everybody's job, yeah. and then two, yeah. nobody can tell you how long it's going to take because you know how long it's going to oh, take. Oh, wow. That's so yeah. interesting. Such a smart way to yeah. think about it. Wow. Yeah. It's just like, if I know how to do the job, then I have, if you sound, tell me 20 minutes, okay, then it's going to be 20 minutes to like, you know, the set. But if you're like 45, he's like, there's no fucking way. Just do it like this. Let's have the conversation, figure it out. Okay. They're cut. I cut out all those problems out. Don't worry about those things that I'm not worried about. Right. Um, mm. Yeah. So, and, and I got a lot of that too from David because David's like that. Like he doesn't sweat stuff. Like if he's not panicked and I am, uh, then I need to say, okay, he's not worried. I shouldn't be. Right. Um, Cause mm. he's thinking about all those that you start realizing the reason why directors um, and producers who are doing so much stuff need assistance to like get them coffee and do this other stuff. It's not because they just want someone to send here and there. They're so focus is like tunnel vision on these very specific things and um it's like what are the actors saying what is the dp you know need what are the producers on your back what who's looking at their watch how, what's your burn rate for the day how much money are you going over you know what i mean like so all of those things yeah sure mitigation and everything so you're like okay so you have all that stuff on you plus you're probably getting like a personal stuff it's like people are calling your texting you're like hey you know and then that's flooding into you you know mm -hmm. if you have a family yeah. or whatever there's like all that stuff you got to manage Mm -hmm. and then it, it, like you just it's so stressful for one person to do that so like you need to be that brain for right. them because mm -hmm. it's kind of like you just you're a train on track you go in one direction like to answer your question I never wanted to be a producer I was like fuck that I have yeah. no interest doing that right. um <laughs> and then yeah and then it was like um when Chris came on uh the first thing he said to me he was like how would you like to run a studio and I was like no interest in doing that and he was kind of like taken back at first um, because I think the typical answer would be like, yeah, I want the money and I want to run the studio and make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And um, I, I was like, I want to make stuff. I want to write stuff. I want to direct and this and that. And he's like, well, he's like, let's figure out what you want to do and let's, you know, kind of set you up on that path. Cool. And then um, awesome. like, yeah. And so I, I, um, I know, or I've learned so much from just like David and everything. So they're like, okay, we're going to put you in charge of production. 
and I go through every budget. I know where to like trim the fat and, um, you know, I know what's unrealistic. Like you're never going to be able to shoot that for this way. And I know, uh, like tricks and stuff like, Oh, you're going to give me $10,000 to shoot the sizzle. All right. I'll be able to do it for seven and then we'll have this, you know what I mean? Whatever it is. So just learn those extra things. And, and, and so Chris is always like, whenever we have something that comes with the budget, even if the line producers are great and he has it, he's like, can't think, look at this. Chris and David can say, all right, he's at least had his eyes on it and he hasn't flagged anything. So, you know, that's when, and then I know all the crew now from all of David's stuff because they all work, all the same people work on his stuff. So I just start calling everybody or like a month, two months out before we know we're going to do something. I just drop the line and say, Hey, look, don't take a job or if you're gonna like, let me know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll tell you if it's real or not before it happens. And then, you know, so it's kind of how I just, that's what I do right now is manage a lot of that. So it's awesome. Like you actually know what's happening. You have this knowledge from all of your work as an assistant, all of your work on set and you're using it to make your studio run better, which is exactly what needs to happen. Um, I, you, I heard you say earlier that you loved or you write, you like writing and you want to potentially direct someday. Do you currently write? Are you currently writing anything? Do you write anything for the company? Do you... um, I'm kind of, yeah, I, I, I want to be a writer. I mean, mm-hmm. um, awesome. but I'm one of those, like, I guess I'm like a closeted writer. It's sort of like, like, I think like Chris and David know I want to be a writer, but I've, um, I've never said like, Hey, I wrote, I wrote something. Will you read it? And I'm, cause I'm not really great at self promotion and I just like feel embarrassed and I don't want to yeah. do that. Um, and then probably defiantly a little bit, I've been like, you know what, I'll just do it on my own and then I'll show them, you know? So it's sort of that <laughs> thing, like, yeah. even though my mom is constantly like, did David read this? I'm like, I know. <laughs> so, um, but I, I have been writing, um, I've written two features recently. Um, cool. so I have a, yeah, wow. I have a, which is like, that's impressive. And that's, I guess, when you say it. Thank yeah. you. Um, but I wrote two for a friend of mine who's a producer who actually, um, so when we were doing Bright, it's when I got married, right before we started shooting, I had to leave for my wedding. And, and uh, it was funny. David was like, so you're going to leave. Like, once you leave, everything's going to go wrong. Like, why have to get married? Oh you know, and he's like, well, do you have to go get married? Flattering. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, uh, okay. So my point is, is when I left, I had a, a guy cover for me. Okay. And he ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. And um, he has, uh, he's been a producer for a while. And um, he's bounced around between in small independent stuff, uh, unscripted reality stuff. And now he's started a company like about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, called Evergreen Valley Productions, and they're like an umbrella. Uh, we're like an umbrella over them. They're they're like mm-hmm. a, a smaller company that we own stake in, or say we Cedar Park own stake in. Mm-hmm. And he, so um, his name is Daryl. He's African American, and so his company focuses on people of color and stories like diverse stories and diverse cast and crew. And so, like, I, his, I yeah. mean, I, without putting words in his mouth, um, his kind of way of looking at it is like he's not only making movies for those audiences but um he's just like that's the focus so he's like if the yeah. lead if the leads are white he's like that i don't care about that because that's not what i'm about he's like i want to put the the best people that are going to make the best movie but i'm going to make sure that, like my crew is going to be diverse, diverse you know and yeah. yeah. my casting you know all that stuff so it's just like thinking about it as a 360 and then um it gives cedar park an opportunity to kind of lift up um, you know, a voice that maybe wouldn't have been able to be heard, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, we're kind of 
working on a bunch of different projects, you know, together. But so I had this uh, idea for something and me and him worked on it. And so I wrote that for him. And then he came to me with another um, project and was like, hey, would you, would you write this? So I've written those two with him. Yeah. Where do you find the time? Because you also have a kid. What is this balancing act? <laughs> oh you my have God. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's sometimes in the office when there's nothing going on already. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'll write until Chris is yelling for me and then I, and I'll jump up and see what's going on. Uh, or I write at night. There's no, like, I'm kind of more of a night owl anyway. So it's mm -hmm. really hard to, which was like, after you have a baby, that's time. It doesn't matter anymore. Like I would be up to like three in the morning or something writing. And then you'd get up for like seven to, to be at the office at eight. So you just kind of like wow. kind of figure that out. Um, and you just, you hit it really hard for like big blocks and then you try to catch up for like a week or two and then you go back at it. Um, catch up on sleep yeah. you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of <laughs> I heard that catching up on sleep is a myth and you can't actually do that, Anthony, but. That's yeah. true. Well, I mean, I'm saying that as if I know what it means, but it's, like I said, it's irrelevant. Um, when your uh, child screams at 6.30 in the morning, hello, hello, yeah. hello. So you're, you're, you're sort of a new dad. Your baby's almost two, right? She is going to be, yeah, she's. Uh, 17 months right now <laughs> so has has your has having your baby changed kind of like your work pace or your priorities or do you kind of just go full full ahead you know and um, juggle the two yeah I mean priorities 100% I mean like yeah it's so it's really funny so my mom used to say to me a lot when she, she's like oh you know we would do anything for you I'd die for you blah 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 and, and you kind of like, you say, okay, well, you know, I, I love you too. And I understand that, but you don't get it yet. And then you have a kid and then like, and, and I know it's cliche, but the switch flips and immediately that's the only thing you care about. You're like the whole world could burn down. I don't give a shit except for like protecting like that child. So that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, oh my <laughs> but yeah, God. So it's just like, you don't care about anything else really. For, like, I mean, obviously, yeah, I got to make money and pay bills and stuff but you just you prior everything else changes but yeah and i've just kind of said this is what i'm doing and it's my kid so you can't tell me i'm not doing that and then um, that's great that's <laughs> good, good. good so, for you yeah yeah so it's like because i only got three days off um after she was born and then i had to go like back to work because oh you know well you don't really get like paternity leave you you know so it's mm -hmm. like it's not really viewed the same way um at least not in this type of work it's like how are you right. going to do that and yeah. um Actually, when my daughter was born, three weeks later, I had to go to shoot a pilot. So she was three weeks old, and um, I had to leave my wife, who was like, you know, <gasps> new mom, and we don't have any family in California. Yeah. So she was like, she was not happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I basically, I told Chris and David, I was like, I'll go for 10 days. It was three weeks. I was like, I'll go for 10 days, and that's it. I'm getting back on a plane. Um, I can't do it, do it any more than that. Good for you. Um, Good. Yeah. And so it was just, and they were like, yeah, that's fine. And somebody came replacing me. Because the thing is, it's like, nothing's life or death in this yep. industry. So Absolutely. you're like, um, which is cool. Cause I actually, you know, like that's something David actually says for every movie. Um, like he's a very serious guy and sometimes he can be intimidating and everything, but mm -hmm. he starts every movie by saying like, thank you for choosing to be on this movie you know i know i'm taking you away from your families you know while we're working here and it's mm -hmm. long hours and whatever but he's like you know we're not curing cancer 
we're making entertainment. So oh my God, no, I love that. nobody be yeah. unsafe and, you know, nobody do anything that, you know, he's like, if I, you know, he'll say the thing of like, if I ask you to do something, you feel like it's unsafe, like, just tell me. And he's like, we're not going to do it. So that's that thing of like, this, this isn't, you know, it's not life or death. It's not, you know, the end of the world. If yeah. something can't happen, you just say it's not going to happen. That's amazing. He said, well, David sounds like a great guy, first of all. Um, but I just, I, more people in film, I wish they had that mindset because Seriously. we all, I'm sure, have experienced producers or directors that do act like it's life or death. And I'm really, <laughs> I think it's wonderful, Anthony, that your company promotes that kind of, you know, mentality and also that you've been able to like, speak up for yourself about like, hey, listen, like my, my kid is my priority. This is what I got to do. And I, that's inspiring. And I, I'm really glad that your company promotes that. And like, everyone needs to do that. We need to get that. Yes. We need to get that into a whole movement in the industry because it's so true. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like, this is a, I, my viewpoint, Mon, and I think is that um, our generation is now moving into that space. And I think we're starting to realize like, what is adulthood and, and what does this all mean and how, how are we going to kind of navigate it versus like, what was it like for our parents? And so I know like, if I want to go home for Christmas for a couple of weeks, then, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> then I'm going to do that. So I just say, Hey, look, like I, I want to work from home while I'm away. Right. Um, you know, what's going to, you know, and it, it's not really an issue. Like if we're shooting something, obviously, can't do that. but if there's not really anything else going on, like December kind of shuts down in Hollywood. I don't of think course. People, you right. know, we know that, but there's not really anything going on. It's like parties and um and people not returning your phone calls it's basically yeah. <laughs> that's that's la in, in december so it's like there's not really what do you need what's going on now that i'm not assisting it's a lot easier so right. as long as i have my phone it's like I, I don't know i think sometimes people forget we you know we live in the future we can communicate very easily and that's something that you know a lot of yeah. people are saying the pandemic is actually teaching people that do yeah. work in film and, and many yeah. other industries like you're starting to learn like okay you don't actually have to be in the office until nine o'clock at night like mm -hmm. you can do it did you can yeah. do it virtually you can do it on yeah. your phone which is perhaps you know um a silver lining of this whole yeah generation. and we get caught up in that and that's also like another like family thing like i know like i'm staring at it the, my phone all the time and i know mm -hmm. it's an annoyance you know as like being in a relationship it's like what are you doing well i have to do work okay you know it's like oh david's texting yeah. me he needs something really quick okay but and so you have to like like before you have a kid like you know your partner's gonna gonna be okay well i get it like that's your job but then after you have a child, it's like, that's unacceptable. We're doing, we're having family time or we're doing this or, you know, do you want, you know, your child to, to have their memories be of you staring at your phone screen? So yeah, and that I think is just point. societally, like how we are now, I'm just kind of trying to break that. But, um, but yeah, just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be FaceTime dad. So yeah, yeah. thing that, you know, that I'm trying not to do. So. Love that. I love David's movies personally. I love the gritty LA movies um, and I like his directing style. And I know that he's kind of known for having a very specific style. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that and maybe like how it's inspired you and and what you like about it? He uh, he has a very, very particular style. So I remember when I got the job with him, um, I was in Canada and End of Watch was on Netflix, but in Canada, not in the US. That's so, a good one. Um, I watched that and I was like, holy shit, like this movie is, is crazy good. Yeah. yeah. And, um, 
And it's funny because he's had meetings like till now, like people have come in who he's never met before. Like, hey, End of Watch was like my favorite movie that year and it got robbed yeah. for, you know, like an editing nom and stuff. But anyway, yeah, he has a very specific style. But the cool thing with David is like he's very, he's very intelligent and mm-hmm. um, he's really um, up on technological trends and things. So he is very hands on. Like the first thing he does that. when he gets to set is he goes to the camera truck. So oh, he's cool. always like over there. He's like, oh, what are you guys building? What's going on? And he knows that he knows every piece of gear that's on every truck. So wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah. That's and that's kind of like something that I, um, I'm like, oh, I want to, yeah, I want to be like that too. Yeah. And so he knows the camera is and he knows the lenses, you know, like, so he's very versed in cinematography and all those things. And I think that what I had said earlier, my idea of like knowing what everyone's job is like, exactly. David kind of did that. Like he came, he was a writer first. And then he was like, you know, he told me the story at one and paraphrasing. He was just like, I, I, he wanted to do that. So he made the, to make the leap. He's like, I got every book I could and just read everything he could about it and then made the leap wow. to be, you know, a director. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. yeah, so he'll build cameras and stuff and he'll, he'll problem solve, um, while we're on set too. So, um, like an interesting story when we were in suicide squad we were shooting something uh with a phantom camera so it's a super high speed camera mm-hmm. and um you know we we're shooting and it was like rain we had these water machines blowing rain and all this crazy stuff and um like the set was the train station set and it was flooding and so we had to like in between each take everybody would grab a broom and a squeegee and squeegee all the water to the drains to like try to reset real fast and um, something happened with the camera. The camera broke down, and everyone was like, "Oh, we have to, we're done shooting." There's only two of these cameras in um, Canada, and we have both of them, and we don't have the extra part to shoot yeah. both of them. And David and so David went over and looked at it, and he just took one connector off, plugged it in, put it back on. You know, he like very quickly just got the camera back up and running. And the tech that wow. came with the machine was like, that? "Oh, I didn't even think of that." So, oh my um, gosh, like, <laughs> this is like blowing my yeah. mind right now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's like very much like that of like, or he, you know, another Suicide Squad thing was um, we had to do something. It was a visual effects gag. And, and um, I think it was, we needed like a size reference. So then, you know, usually you see like they'll have the tennis ball or like a big cutout. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed something and David, they wanted to build like this foam armature. And Dave was like, just give me a, a towel. So they got a beach, like a beach tower, like a, a big towel. And he wrapped it around uh, somebody's arm and duct taped it. I was like, there you go. And then we shot with that. And then and the visual effects guys were like, oh, great. So just like this idea of wow. like, there is no, no, let's figure out what the solution is. Like, you know, so. It's like a amazing. diamond in the rough. He sounds amazing. <laughs> so like a diver. I, yeah. yeah. So it was just like, cause I, cause he comes from that world of like making these small movies with yes. like no resources. Like, how do you get it done? Yeah. And um, you just, you know, he's, he, he just respects all the crafts. And so he knows you know, let's get the best person in there to do this job and let them create their art. And then let's kind of, he's, he likes to call it like playing jazz. So he's always like, yeah, you know, this is, you know, where we're just, you know, playing jazz right now. And he's, oh, that's funny. watches all the that's cameras great. go and, you know, he'll mastermind it and look and, and he's just like, he'll look at three, four monitors and he's, che- he's just checking everything. He's in the zone. And so mm-hmm. just like being hyper aware of what everybody's doing and trying to grab all these different things at the same time um, is really cool. Just kind of a, from a director standpoint and then yeah you know he has his um he's really good with actors and so i don't think there's been an actor out there that's met him and said that like oh i don't like work or you know maybe they say i don't want to work with him again because it's a lot but that you know they definitely loved you know the process um or at least that's what i've heard 
but he has this like closed door sort of thing that he does and he goes and all the actors in him go in the room like I've never even been in one myself so they go in there and they have yeah. their discussions and their rehearsals and their you know and he has all these you know things these processes that he does that cool. uh, that just gets everybody like the actors on all of his films turn into like a little family which is That's really great. interesting wow. yeah so um, and it's all these different aspects it's like he'll like have them train with this one specific guy um, who he knew growing up who's like a third degree black belt and it's not about learning martial arts it's about the like fighting and the breaking down barriers mentally and physically and mm -hmm. and you know and he'll get them exhausted and then he'll throw them into a, a rehearsal so it's like they have they don't have the energy Gosh. to be to like have that wall up so right. there's all these really cool things that he does to like kind of prepare people and and at the end of it they're they're all super, super close. So that just, sounds like a military tactic. And you said he was in the military. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's like, point. once you like, you, you learn these little things about his life in particular, and then you see how those experiences are applied to other people. So they can kind of go through that same, like kind of boot camp, I guess. And, um, and I'm sure, you know, uh, different directors do it. Um, I just, I haven't had that experience with any other director I've worked for where like I've seen, the process and how they get the actor where they're going. I've seen people just kind of let the direct, the actors do what they want. And then they say, okay, well, the camera's going to be do, doing this. So why don't you stand over here? You know what I mean? Like they're just, it's about simple blocking, get what they need and then that's it. Or they don't know what they're doing at all with an actor. So it's interesting to see that, you know, I mean, it works for David. It doesn't work for everybody, but for him, it's interesting. And I really like that approach. So I think I would for sure, like kind of follow in that, on that path, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a great guy to look Okay, so Anthony, what is next for you after the coronavirus? But like, what, what's <laughs> what's on your plate? Um, so, oh, actually, so funny story. So last summer, um, I was at a wedding in Jamaica and I was on Reddit and I was kind of flipping through the screenwriting subreddit and I saw somebody posted like a rant. And they were like, you know, my agent and my manager, um, they're not doing anything for me. They're not, they're not helping me get my stuff sold. Like I'm really frustrated, blah, blah, blah. And I have this script I wrote and I would love for it to get made. And I was like, Hey, I'm a producer. Why don't you send me your script? And that person was like, okay, sure. And then they, I, they messaged me privately and they're like, are you just messing around or what? And I said, this is my name. Look me up. Here's, here's our company. And then like five minutes later, um, they wrote back. He's like, what's your email? And so I, gave my email and then it was uh, this woman and she's like, look, I'm just super frustrated. I want to be a writer. I have all this stuff and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And I don't know what the reason is, you know, why isn't my stuff being, you know, shopped around? I don't think it's because I'm a bad writer. And so I, I read the script and I was like, this is fucking hilarious. Like this is, so it's a, it's a romantic comedy. I was like, oh, this is oh, really, cool. this is really funny. This is really yeah. good. So I went to Chris and I was like, this is a really good script and it's, it's going to be easy to get it. Like we should, trying you know, like do you want to only do cop and la stuff or do you want to expand you know do you want to expand the company out and so i spent like a year saying we should be doing stuff like this we should be doing stuff like this so every single intern that ever worked here read it and thought it was hilarious every wow. person that worked here read it thought it was hilarious so i've been like pushing 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 and now it's um it's been going around to different production companies and stuff and um i think we found a home for it and um we had actually on Friday on our last staff meeting, we had a good conversation where uh, we were talking with one of the agencies and they were talking about putting, um, I can't say names, but 
uh, like an A-list lead. Right. So I was like, wow. oh, holy shit. Amazing. So this thing like turned around like really fast. This. I know. Yeah. That It's so, just crazy. Like it goes to yeah. show you for anyone that's like, you know, an actor or a writer or whatever. Like sometimes you just never know when you're going to be discovered or picked mm -hmm. up or who you're going to meet. It's so yeah. random. This industry. Or where on yeah. Reddit. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, uh, we're probably going to make that movie and I'm that's, sure it'll be next year. Amazing. So like, all yeah, right, so it's you guys really cool. already have some stuff in the pipeline. Oh my god. Yeah. Busy. Yeah. So that we have a lot of stuff that we're pitching and selling. So the idea is for next year, as long as everything is safe, we'll go back and we'll have three or four different things sold and we'll be into production on a few things like right away. And right. that's just TV. So then film wise, you know, David has a couple things in the pipeline. You know, there's been a couple announcements that you, know, you can look up so you know like he has two different features right now that we're going back and forth on that he's wow. he's written one he's writing the other one and then we'll be shooting you know we'll see which one's ready first and we'll and we'll be shooting those so yeah that's that's kind of like what we happen next year yeah it's, it's so extremely busy <laughs> and it goes to show everyone you know like all of us we started off in boston where we're all from <laughs> yeah. and we're doing our assistant work and like look at anthony now successful <laughs> vp of production for this great company working for some amazing people it's so awesome even as your friend to see how much you've grown and Thank you. Thank how you. great you're doing and oh my god i can't wait to to see all of these mo movies in development and i'm looking forward to the tax collector so um, it's yes. been awesome talking to you, Anthony. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. It was Thanks really fun. for having us and enlightening us with all of your stories and film <laughs> facts. It's It's been really great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. As always, thanks for listening to episode six of How Are We Not Invited? Thanks, Anthony, for joining us. This was great. We had such a fun time. Don't forget to email us and check out our Instagram. All that information is in the description of our podcast. And we will see you next week. But seriously, guys. Seriously, guys? But seriously, guys. How, how are, are we, we not, not invited? invited?